everyone. So we're so grateful to have you here as we uh, kind of move into this uh, season of celebration as we remember uh, the work of Christ and the birth of Christ. If you're visiting with us, we want to thank you for being with us. And if there's any way that we can serve you, if you want any contact from any of the pastoral team members, just have to fill out a card at the connection desk out front, and we would love to have an opportunity to talk to you. We want to welcome the Hubbing Home choir ladies that are standing along the wall with our church choir. And uh, yeah. So they're involved in a ministry that we support uh, over in Port Murray, which is the Walter Hoving Home. And it's been a great blessing to be partners with them in ministry. And today we get to uh, share in worship together. If you're a parent of someone that is a toddler through sixth grade after the service this morning, we're going to have a meeting with you. You just need to go the hallway out the door, make a left, and try to get there as soon as you can, like avoid the snacks and get back there for that meeting so we can do that with you. Tim Dory and I will be meeting with you all back there. Uh, tonight there is a gathering for the teens, so if you're a newer family and you have teenagers, there's a gathering at our home tonight at 5 o'clock for uh, food and fellowship. And uh, we'd love to have them here. So the other thing I want to remind you of is the Christmas Eve service, which is at 5 o'clock next Sunday night, okay, so that you can all uh, be aware of that. So John 1.14 says this. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I was talking with the young people this morning. The, the fact that Christ came that God came in flesh means that I can avoid two kind of negative directions I can go in my life, right? One is if I don't know there's a Savior through Christ, I tend to become either religious and proud of my accomplishments, or I try really hard and realize the truth about my own heart, and that is that I am a broken sinner in need of a Savior. And in that case, I'm devastated. So we vacillate between the two until we come to realize that God came in flesh to bear our sin and to set us free from our shame, to free us from our pride, and also to free us from personal devastation and shame. And if you don't know that truth, that's what we want you to learn today through the singing, through the preaching of the word, that because of Christ, there is hope. For every person in this room, whether you're a proud religious person who thinks you got your act together or you're a person that's been trying really hard but realizes that you don't measure up, there's hope for you in Christ. And we want you to know that truth today. I want to ask you to stand with me as we open in prayer this morning. So, Father, we're, we are so grateful in this season that we have the truth of the coming of God in human flesh in the person of Christ who lived the perfect life that Tim Hoff could never live, who took the wrath of God that I deserve on himself on the cross so that I could be free and so that I could be in relationship with you, Lord, by your grace alone. So today, Lord, as we sing and as we join our voices together and as the choir sings and we, we celebrate what Christ has done, God, we trust that you will glorify and honor your name and that you will exalt your son and that today some would trust him who never have. Some would realize today that there's hope for me, irregardless of my brokenness, there's hope in Christ. 
So do your work by your spirit today, Lord. Uh, fill uh, the words that we sing. Make them clear to our hearts. Make them true to our hearts. And give us all this, this gift of faith to believe today what Christ has done. We celebrate your coming, Lord. We want you to be exalted in our singing and in the word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.
God. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, just want to thank you, dear Lord, for um, just this worship that we have together, the time that we can sing praises to your name. I want to thank you for the choir and all the work that they did, dear Lord, and um, just the ladies coming here from the Hoving Home. And dear Lord, we want to pray, just shout it from the mountaintops. The King is alive. This is the season. This is the season where we get to worship you uh, with much of the world in many forms, but the most important is the birth of our Savior. We want to thank you for this opportunity. We want to thank you for this country we live in. We want to thank you for the praises that we're able to sing. Be with Doug this morning as he preaches. I pray that you would prick our hearts, not just listen to the story that we hear every time this year, but to find something new that the Holy Spirit can convict us of. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, good morning. Did we dismiss the junior for the children for junior church? Okay, all right. Well, if you still need to slip out, this would be the time to do that. Um, Sandy, thank you so much for leading out in that. that yeah. And 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 I also just just a shout out, Linda. It was great to see you in the choir. 
blessed us. Thank you. So the problem is now, we're going to expect this a lot more often. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll, we'll take whatever we can get. But thank you for that. Wasn't that a, wasn't that a great blessing? So. Well, we're, we're stepping away from the Genesis series for a couple weeks, so and just picking up on some Christmas themes. So I um, thought this would be a appropriate passage to look at. It's one of my favorite in the, in the Gospels. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me over to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Um, one of the things my wife and I like to do around the Christmas season often, we don't always do it. I, I should say my wife likes to do it and she drags me along. It's probably a bit more accurate, but no, no, no. It's okay. It is okay. We, we like to just go around and look at some of the lights in the neighborhood, right? And, you know, you, you drive up to some places and you go like, that's, that's pretty simple. Yeah, that's Okay. All right, yeah, not too bad. Then you go to the next place, you go like, wow, holy mackerel, whoa. You know, you just, you just, you know those, those experiences, but you don't normally have both of those experiences at the same time. You either go like, simple, amazing, something like that. The passage we're looking at today does both. It, it, it moves us from something that is amazingly simple to something that is simply amazing. And I want you, I want you to watch that as we kind of walk, walk our way through this passage, um, because when Luke presents it, that's how he moves us through it. And, and if both of those grab us, we'll come away slightly different people because of it, okay? So I want to talk it through. Now, being that it's simple, which we all know, um, I, I, and I don't, I don't want to ruin anybody's Christmas, but, but I do want to be able to say what we can say from the scriptures and try to push back against some traditions that have kind of layered on top of, of, of the story, all right? So you can, can, you, can you see the picture? This is Rembrandt's rendition of, uh, of the birth of Christ, and I like the way he does it with the light, the light there, and very, very, very nice. But you can see where it takes place. Okay, that, that's like in a barn, a stable of some sort, some major barn. Um, and the other thing that's kind of interesting at this birth is you have both shepherds and wise men represented at the same time. Exactly right. I mean, we, we know there's, there's, there's some problems with some of these things. So I thought this might be interesting to read to you. Maybe you've... Um, You've seen this. Matter of fact, one of the things I was thinking, I had asked, my wife and I were talking a couple weeks ago, I said, like, we're not doing a, like a children's pageant or anything when, when Sandy's having everybody sing, because what I don't want to do is get up and critique something that we just did. So, so but you've all seen, I've been involved in pageants like this, so I just want to kind of read it, um, and hopefully maybe you'll chuckle a little bit, but I want to qualify some of the things in this story. A typical Christmas play... In the evening of December 25th, AD 1, Joseph arrives in Bethlehem, leading a donkey which is carrying his pregnant wife. Since there's no room for them in the local economy inn, the innkeeper and his wife allow the couple to stay the night in their humble stable. <clears throat> Shortly thereafter, Mary gives birth. During the evening, shepherds who had been informed of the birth by angels come to see 
the Christ child, and then lead to share the news with others. <coughs> the next day, after seeing a comet, three kings from the east arrive to worship Christ, and each of them offers the family a gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Have you all seen that play? Yes. Okay, yes, we've all, some of us have participated in them, all right? There's a couple problems. Okay, I'm not going to identify all of them. It could take us too far afield. We'd have to look at Matthew and Luke's account. But from Luke, I want to qualify a couple things. Um, and l- let me explain. I'll get to it. But probably one of the big ones in this thing is um, what in the world is the inn? And, and I'm going to argue that our typical view of an inn and an innkeeper and an innkeeper's wife um, is not consistent with the passage. Okay, and I explain this. And, and having said all that, it's a simple birth. I'm not questioning that. But I want to qualify. So stay with me as, as we try to get a good picture of what's going on and then come to what we can truly hold on to in our own lives. All right. Um, let, let's start by reading the passage here. Ch- again, Victor, thank you for reading that through. But in, in the first kind of three verses, you have background to the story, right? And, and, and this is really important because it shows us that Luke is not sucking this story out of his thumb. One of the things you find in Luke's gospel in the book of Acts, he's very careful to give you historical background data. Um, because he's, he tells us at the beginning of his book, he's done intensive research into what he's actually going to say. So that when he speaks, it's stuff that you can verify if you were living at the time to find out if it was actually true. So he starts out, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this is is the challenging verse, verse two. I'm reading from the NIV. The NIV says this, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone, everyone went to his own town to register. My, my NIV note, I have a little note, like a, a, another possible way to translate that. It says this for verse 2. Rather than saying, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor, the note says, this census took place before Quirinius was governor of Syria. And there's a word in the Greek, you can actually translate it either before or first. Okay, and so there's some, some debate there that, that actually goes on. Because here's the problem. I, I just put the, the, the dates up here for you. Um, Jesus was not born in AD 1. Okay? Jesus was probably born around 6 BC. Which sounds kind of crazy. Because you're thinking like, doesn't BC mean before Christ? So Christ was born before Christ? Like, what is going on? And you're right, because the monk who actually designed um, a calendar around B.C. and A.D. in in the 200s was off by a couple years. He was doing the best he could. So Christ was born before Christ. Something like that, okay? Something like that, all right? But here's the problem. Quirinius wasn't governor of Syria till A.D. 6. Can you see that up there on the map? So Quirinius is governor then. Jesus is born, what, 10, 12 years before that. 
So when the text says, this was the census, this was the first census while Quirinius was governor of Syria, historians go back and they check and they look at archaeological evidence and, and, re, and, and, and Roman writings and all this stuff, and they say, like, there's no evidence that Quirinius was governor of Syria at that time in 6 BC or 4 BC. And Jesus had to be born before 4 BC because Herod the Great tries to kill Jesus and Herod the Great doesn't die till 4 BC. You, you see the problem, right? Um, so so the, these are the reasons why we, 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 we say some of these kinds of things. And th there's two possible ex explanations. I won't go into detail, but there are some very good scholars that argue that Quirinius had some other role in Syria, that you could still call him the governor. He was like the CFO of Syria or something like that. And maybe that's what's going on here, and that's possible. The simple answer for me, grammatically, is just to say this census took place before the one that everybody knows about in AD 6. Because when that one happened in AD 6, there was a revolt in Judea. And I think all Luke is saying is, you know that one that everybody knows about with all the problems and the rebellion? This was the big one before that. This was worldwide. This wasn't just coming through Syria. This was actually coming from Caesar Augustus himself. And we know from other records, there was one in 8 BC that came from Caesar Augustus. And because Judea is really on the outskirts of the empire, it takes about a year or two to get that stuff implemented. So having said all that, Jesus was probably born around 6 BC. Just a little bit of background there. For sure before 4 BC, because Herod dies in 4 BC. And everyone went to their own town to register. And you may say, that's a lot of people moving around. But think about this, in antiquity... Most people never left where they, where they were born. So the fact that Joseph had been in Bethlehem and then had moved to Galilee and now was coming back, that would be more of the exception than the rule for that kind of thing to happen. So just a little bit of background. He's just trying to say this happened under that great census that started in 8 BC, which probably filtered down to Judea around 6 BC which is roughly around the time when Christ would have been born. So it's a little bit of a problem with the Christian play, Christmas play that he was born in AD, 6, or AD 1. That wouldn't have happened. Okay. Then in verses 4 to 7, we get the story itself, which is really, interestingly enough, very, very, very simple. Listen, listen to the, what the text says. And this is where I want to go after one other thing with you too. Um, The other thing I really want to be sensitive to and appreciate is um, the distance that they had to travel and they did not have planes and they did not have cars or trains or any of that stuff. And so a trip from Galilee to uh, Bethlehem was, depending upon, there's two possible routes they could have taken, you see there on the map. Uh, it would have been at least 70 miles. It would have taken several days to get there. Um, I know like when women are pregnant today, they say two or three months before they, they give birth, they shouldn't even go on a plane. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Well, in this world, you have no choice. So they have to make that long trip down, which is an amazing thing. And, and I, 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 don't, I, don't, 
I, I don't know all what Joseph is thinking. The text doesn't tell me. But, but I have wondered, does Joseph know Micah 5 too? The prophecy we know that says the Savior, Messiah, will come, will be born in Bethlehem. Does he know that? When he gets that edict and he's in Galilee and his wife is pregnant and he knows that this is the, this is the king and it's like, you got to go back to Bethlehem. And he's going, Mary, I know it's late in the pregnancy, but you got to come with me. I mean, God's working here. I don't want to make that long trip. But we're fulfilling Micah 5 too. Now, I don't know if he's thinking all that. I don't know. But I know that's exactly what God's doing. So what, what, what does he say? So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So he had to go back there for, for the census. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and, and was expecting a child. Now, here's one of the things I want to mention. When I was growing up, what I always imagined was that, um, like, they kind of pulled in um, late December, December 24th, maybe the 20th, ah, 24th for sure. And um, maybe it's raining outside, who knows. And, like, there's no place to stay. Uh, All the relatives' homes are filled up. So they go to an inn, they knock on the door, and the guy says, man, I'm filled up. And his wife says, honey, we got to do something. All right, we got a stable out back, whatever. You guys can go back there. And I kind of figured it all happened about the same time. Isn't that, isn't, isn't, isn't anybody else ever picked that up growing up? I don't, I don't know, that's kind of what I felt. Do you notice how verse six begins? While they were there. Well, how long were they there? I don't know. I don't think it was a day. Could have been weeks, could have been a month. It just says they came back to Bethlehem and while they were there, she gave birth. So what that time period is, we don't know exactly. So this idea that they pulled in, in stable that night, shepherds, wise men shortly after, it's, it's, it's not what's going on here. Here's the other challenge. In antiquity, if, um, well, let me, you you, kind of use it. Willie, here, Willie's out there, okay. So, um, Willie is my cousin, and and he lives in Bethlehem. And I'm coming from Galilee, from Nazareth, down to Bethlehem. Willie is not gonna allow me to stay anywhere but with family. He's going to find a way because that's what Jewish hospitality is all about. The idea of putting somebody in an inn and not taking them in as family would be completely counter to their culture. It's just that they, 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 they didn't think that way. But you say, yeah, but think, Biner, keep reading, and I will. So what it says. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn Interestingly, if Jesus is her firstborn, what's the indication of that? There's more to come. 
Now, it, it won't be a virgin birth. It will be a, it will be a birth between Joseph and Mary. F- fair enough. But, but Jesus was the firstborn of several others to come for this couple. Obviously, this one was virgin born. This was unique. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, which is what they will often do, translated often swaddling clothes, right? Uh, they would often wrap children up because they, they didn't want their limbs to, you know, they, they thought if they, if they didn't, you know how babies, they, you know, stuff like that. They just, so you wrap them up so they're, so their, their legs are going to grow correctly. I, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what they did, okay? So, yeah, we, we've learned some things along the way. But nonetheless, she wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no... Now, this is what the NIV says. There was no room available in the guest room. That, that's, that's what my NIV says. Um, Yours probably says there was, no, there was no room for them in the inn. Is that fair? Okay, so here we go. When you see the word inn, literally in the Greek, it just means dwelling. It's, just, it's a pretty broad term, and it can, it can reference a lot of different things, especially in the Old Testament. In Luke's gospel, the term is used two times. It's used here in this passage, and it's used later in Luke 22 at what we call the, for the upper room. And what the upper room was, the upper room was a guest chamber. It was a special place connected to the house where Jesus and his disciples could have a special meal. Does that make sense? It was like a guest room. So the only other time it's used outside of Luke 2, it's referring to a guest room. You say, yeah, but you said dwelling and in. There's another Greek word that's used for an actual inn. It's used in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke's gospel. And it's a completely different Greek word. If Luke wanted you to think that there was no room in the local economy inn, he could have used a very different Greek word. Rather, he uses the same word he uses elsewhere for a guest room. And so what I would argue is that there was no inn, there's a guest room. And let me just tell you what we know a little bit about from archaeology and people that have worked in these areas. They can, they can tell us. You, can, you kind of see the picture here. This is like a side view of what you would find in some of the homes in Bethlehem. And what they would often do is they would build their homes up against um, like an, a hill or an inclinement of some sort. And, and part, part of the reason they would do that is they think of almost like a split level where you could come into the basement area, the garage. Sometimes even they would utilize a cave and then they would actually have the house right above it as a split level. So you would live here, but what you could then do, if, if, if I was on a split level and I wanted to feed my, my animals, you could have stone troughs between where I'm standing and where the animals actually are, and I could just put the food right down there and the animals would come and eat, and we lived up here. Does that kind of make sense? I mean, that's what you find. So I'll give you a side shot of it or an aerial shot of it here. It's another way of kind of looking at it. So if this was a home that had a guest room, which it makes sound, sounds like it did, there's a guest room, there's a basic family living area, and then there's your garage, 
um, area where you'd keep your animals. They wouldn't have called it a garage. Sometimes it even could look like a cave, depending upon what the hillside was like. That, that, was, that was common to have that kind of thing. If that's what's going on, I think it's a better understanding of the text. What he's saying is when Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, they were there for a period of time. But they weren't the only ones there. There was probably other relatives that were there. And my guess is some other relatives were already in the guest room of the home. And so when Mary gave birth, I don't think she gave birth literally in the stable. I think she probably gave birth in that family room. But just because of the number of people around and so forth, they thought it might be appropriate to put Jesus in that stone manger between the main room and the actual garage or whatever you want to call it down below. So I think that's what Luke 2 is talking about. You say, well, you just ruined this Christmas story. (laughs) No, not at all. Because it's still exceedingly common for the king not to be able to be in the guest room, to be born in a family room and stuck in a manger. That's pretty simple. But I think it's more accurate with what's going on in the passage. So the story just begins in this time when when. When Augustus thinks he's just doing what he always does, which is controlling the Roman Empire, and therefore he has this census, he is actually fulfilling Scripture. Because he's going to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem in fulfillment of Micah 5 2. Do you see? And when they're there, they're there for a period of time in this home. When the birth happens, it's very similar, simple. She wraps the child up, puts him in the manger, and there it is. And now, now we find out what it's all about. It's amazingly simple in those first couple verses. Amazingly simple. Now we're going to find out it's simply amazing when you read what happens in conjunction with the shepherds. And you've heard this before. I mean, like, if you've been around Christianity a period of time, you haven't heard this story. Uh, it, it's, it's a terrific story. But um, it, doesn't it amaze you that, you, that that God would announce this to a bunch of shepherds? Now, look, we all love shepherds because we see them on the Hallmark cards, you know, and the snow's coming down, and they're there, and in it. But you know, if you're living in the ancient world, um, these guys have uh, sheep dung on their sandals and they stink and, you know, come on. It's not the profession that everybody would want to go into in antiquity. It's not a bad profession. And you need shepherds, you need sheep. But it's not like, oh man, I want my son to grow up and that's what I want him to be, you know, kind of thing, you know? So these are, these are very common people. And so look what the angels, look what happens here. Great story. Verse 8. And while this is all happening, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, again, could this have been in December? It could have been. It's probably more likely that we're talking about something that would have happened in the spring. But, but, but nonetheless, it's possible. I'm not trying to destroy the December date. I'm just saying, okay? 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Doesn't that always happen when angels appear? I mean, like you read the stories, and, and it says, and an angel appeared. And if, if, if the angel appears and somebody says, yeah, watch out. I, they didn't have an encounter with an angel. Because like whenever it's an angel, people go like, ah, and they just, that, that, and like all the time. So these guys, I mean, what are they thinking this day when they're going out? They're doing the same old thing they all always do. They're just common guys wondering where their lives are going to go and, and, and end up. And, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to them. And they're probably thinking it's curtains for us. He, he caught us. He knew what we did or, or, or whatever. Isn't that what you think? That's, that's what I think. I, I don't know what they were thinking. But the angel said, I love it. Don't be afraid. Those words of comfort. Um, incidentally, I should at least pop this up here. Maybe this will help you flow through the story a little bit. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. He goes to some of the lowest to make a statement of the comprehensiveness of the hope that he gives to all. Do you see that? If you would go to Kings, we would wonder if it applied to the commoner. But if you start with the commoner, it reaches everybody. So, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born, and, and again, it says, to you. And in saying it's to you, he's saying, because it's for you, it's for everyone. Christ didn't come just for the elite or those who had their, their act together, because none of us do. Came to them, he said, a savior has been born. He is the Messiah, he is the Lord. Here it is, good news. Savior, Messiah, Lord has come. He's Lord. He's in charge. He's Messiah. He's the king you've been waiting for. He will function to save you from your sins. I would love to interview these shepherds, wouldn't you? So what are you guys thinking when he said that? I mean, they just were doing whatever they do that night. And all of a sudden, in one moment, it's like, God is giving good news to, to us? Savior? Messiah? Lord? Whew. Powerful. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe, baby wrapped in cloths, which wouldn't be unusual, and lying in a manger. Now remember, Bethlehem is not that big of a town. It's probably 500 to 1,000 in size. Uh, there probably was no other baby born that night. So it wasn't like, but when they went into the home and they looked at each other and they said, hey, that baby's in that stone trough. 
This is exactly what we were told. The only baby born in Bethlehem today. Whoa, right? Just, it, it, it all comes together for them. Um, suddenly, verse 13, the angels here still speaking after giving the sign, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Just a short comment. Is God's peace experienced by everybody? Well, is God's peace and salvation offered for everybody? Yes. If, is it experienced by everybody? No. And at the end of the day, the peace only rests on those who trust in the Savior, Messiah, and Lord. You see? So, so yeah, we talk about, well, you know, Christmas is a time of joy and peace, and it is. But the peace is not experienced by all. It is experienced by those who've accepted the good news of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, all of a sudden, the sky goes black. And these guys are probably looking at each other going like, what in the world? What could they have done? I suppose at that moment they could have said like, man, were we drinking too much tonight or what? Like, let's, let's just have a good night's sleep. Uh, we, we don't need to go into town with this crazy story and then get in trouble by the townspeople because it is late, you know? I mean, it's late. I like, like if, if, if we're still feeling kind of unsettled in the morning, let, let, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do something then. I don't know. Don't you think, I guess somebody could have done that. Not these guys. These guys are going like, this thing is real. And, and, facing possible embarrassment if this doesn't work out. Because I'd love to know how they went to find the house exactly. What do you do? Go by house? Hey, is anybody born? You know where? Yeah, down there. But don't go. It's, everybody's in bed. So, whatever, you know. I mean, what was that conversation like? No idea. These are all questions I will ask when I get to heaven. But for now, we're not sure. But look what happens in verse 15. When the angel had left them, and gone into heaven, the angel, sorry. The shepherds said one to another, okay, guys, it might be late, whatever. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. No, no, we know it's of him. We're going. We're going. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. So they worked their way, however they did that to the right home, knocked on the door and said, hey, hey can, can we come in? We got the, what? Who are I, I, Okay. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So they came in and I guess his family members are around, maybe neighbors, who knows? People are concerned about this. And, and you're like, what are these shepherd guys showing up for? Like, what's going on? And, 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 and the guys just say, this is the story we heard. It is good news because the Savior has come 
and he is extending joy and peace to all who accept him. And they shared that whole story and everybody was just like, wow. I wonder if some people were saying, why was it shared with those guys? Because in sharing it with them, he was sharing it with all. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherd had said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Wouldn't you love to talk to Mary when we get to heaven? You're talking about mixed feelings. She's going to go from this experience, um, not a, a couple weeks later when she's going to be in the temple um, with, with her son. And, 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 and the prophet's going to come and talk to them, and the prophet's going to say, this is wonderful. And also, you know what? This whole thing is going to literally pierce your heart when you find out where the whole thing ends up. And, and what he's talking about is the cross before it even happens, because people are not going to accept him, even though he's the right Messiah, he's the king. And so, you know, Mary, she knows what's happening, but she's hearing this, and all she can do is just very personally in her heart go like, hmm, wow. And how old is she? We don't know exactly. 15 years of age? Could be young, we don't know, roughly. She's young, she's a young teenager. She's taking all this in and it's just like, wow. The shepherds, the Bible tells us in verse 20, returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were, which were, just, uh, which were just as they had been told. These guys heard it, they saw it, and you could not have shut them up if you wanted to. Because they knew it was true. So what's the point? Here it is. And I want us to just kind of think about this. While the setting for the birth of Jesus was amazingly simple, and it was, it just was. The message of Jesus' birth is simply amazing. So what do we do with that? My guess is most of everybody sitting in here today, at least the vast majority, are probably have trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you're here with a friend. Maybe you're just visiting. Maybe, maybe you've just been kind of covering up most of your life, just playing the Christian game. I don't know. Maybe you have never really heard and believed. These guys heard and believed the message. And the place for you to start is not with New Year's resolutions. Forget it. They don't work terribly well. The place for you to begin is to fall on your knees before God and saying, I have no lasting joy or peace in my life, and I will never have it apart from Jesus Christ. And you can. You can try everything imaginable. You can go up every ladder of success only to find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. And it won't hold. And you, there will be this emptiness in your soul that, is, that can only be filled with a relationship with the true and living God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
And this text cries out to say, God has loved you in Jesus Christ. He did not have to come, but it was in his very nature to come. He loved us while we were dead in our sins, while we were poor with nothing, he came. And this text cries out and says, this message is for you if you will accept it. God's spirit is prompting your heart to trust in his son. Trust him today. Don't wait. Hear. Believe. And share. Christian, it's a pretty simple story. But it's a completely amazing story. That God has loved us so much that he has saved us. How can we not share it with others? Somebody said years ago that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. That's true, isn't it? It's not my job to move into somebody's life and say, hey, I'm so much better than you and blah, 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 because I'm not. I'm forgiven. God's spirit is at work in my life. That's true. He's transforming me. Yes, it's all true, and that's good. But I'm a beggar sharing with other beggars where you can get food. And I, I hope, I, 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 you know, you hear this stuff every Christmas season, but will you, Christian, will you do me a favor? Will you pray today that God will make you more conscious of the opportunities he gives you to share your faith in Jesus Christ? This is a beautiful time of year. When oh, Christmas, somebody says, boy, this, this is really a hectic time. You say, yeah, I, I know it's hectic. But you know, it is a wonderful time of hope because Christ has come. Really? Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what Christmas is about. I hadn't really thought about that before. <laughs> People know, I mean, it's crazy, but they, they don't. I mean, pray for opportunities. And then take the opportunities when God gives it to you. These guys could not be stopped. It doesn't matter if it was midnight. It doesn't matter with the impossible embarrassment when they went to see. They knew it was true. And when they knew it was true, man, they went out and told everybody. That should be us. It's good news. We've experienced it. So that's my prayer for us at this Christmas season. That we don't forget how amazingly simple the birth of Christ is but how simply amazing the story is. Let us pray. Before I actually pray, um, I'm going to ask you to pray to yourselves for just a few moments. Uh, not, few, yeah, not long, maybe 30 seconds. And, and this is what I'd encourage you to do. If if you don't know Christ as your savior, this would be an opportunity for you to trust him today. And, and all you would do is you would tell Christ the truth, which is you are a sinner. You could never have a relationship with God because of that. But you recognize Christ came, lived, died, and has resurrected because he loves you and wants to forgive you of all your sins and make you his child.
boy, it'd be wonderful in these few moments if you would bow your knee and say, I want Christ, I want you to be my Savior and Lord today. And Christian, if you're here, would you ask God to put some people into your path? Maybe it's family members, maybe it's coworkers, neighbors. Say, God, please do a work in my heart. Grant me opportunities to share the gospel in appropriate ways as the opportunities come, especially at this season of the year. So I'm gonna give you just about 30 seconds and then I'll close in prayer. Father, please forgive us for being commonplace, perhaps even at times indifferent about the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of Christmas. Lord, for those that don't know you as Savior, would your spirit work in their hearts and draw them to yourself? Father, for those of us that have trusted in Christ, may this not be something that's just commonplace, but may it be something that just makes us think afresh about the wonder that you have loved us in the person of your son. May that love motivate us to move into all our relationships with a passion to share and live out our faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
of kings we are so thankful and so amazed by your story of Christmas that you would send our Savior our Messiah and our Lord as a babe to die for us on a cross and forgive us of our sins we do pray that you will help us to share our faith this Christmas season and all through the year in Jesus name we pray amen